Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, Happy New Year, everybody, once again, and good morning. You know, when a church gathers before the Lord, there are usually at least three kinds of people who are represented. I think the first is perhaps the most common, where it's a person who has followed God for a very long time. They've heard the stories and they've read the chapters and they have sung the songs 8,000 times throughout their lives. And yet they reached a point though where they just stop growing. They feel as if they know enough, but they don't really have any desire one way or the other to really go any higher or to go any deeper. They are convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but, but they're not convicted. I think about another type that is by far the least desirable which is a person who has also followed God for a very long time, but they feel as if they can't be taught anything else. It's a person who feels as if they literally know everything about God. God is no longer a mystery to them. And whether they intend to or not, what their spirit communicates to everyone around them in so many other ways is everybody gather around me because after all, (laughs) I know everything there is to know about God. And I don't really need to change to become like Jesus. Everybody else needs to change to become, well, more like me. (laughs) That's not recommended. And then there is another kind of person. And this is the type of person that heaven smiles upon. It is also a person who has followed God for a very, very, very long time. And yet, as they approach God, what they say to God is, I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry and thirsty. I'm still seeking after God's heart after all of these years of following Him. When they hear God's words read aloud to them, their attitude is that of a prophet Samuel, who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Whenever they offer prayer to to God, their mindset is just like a publican Jesus spoke about in a parable, who can't even look up to heaven, but all that he can do is beat his chest and say, God, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. And every time that they eat the bread and drink the cup, they're just like the people on the road to Emmaus whose hearts burn within them. And every time that they eat the bread and drink the cup, their their heart bursts in absolute gratitude. Their eyes flood in tears. And when they enter into a sanctuary on Sunday morning, as they drive to work on Tuesday morning, and as they lie down at night, the, the music ceaselessly coursing through their spirit is the words of a song in our hymn book. I have the words on the cover of our bulletins where it says, You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. 
Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. Recently, I was having a conversation with with a fellow believer in Christ. And they very much have a desire to be this last kind of person. And yet the question that they pose to me is, okay, David, but, but how? How can I become a person like this? How do I spend less time worrying and being prideful and, and more time just loving God and loving his creation? And my response to that question is going to come in the form of messages over these next few weeks. And so we're calling this series, Change My Heart, O God. And it's already changing my heart as I I study it every week, and I pray that it also transforms your life. And so we begin in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is is a very important moment in, in Israel history. There is a changing of the guard of of the kings of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, what we read is the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you grieve over King Saul? God says, I have rejected him from being king over Israel. And so fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Well, as we know, Saul was really the first traditional king of Israel. And yet Saul was very unfit for the throne, as we know. God removes all of his power away from him, showing that God has, has power and authority over all of the kings of the earth. Well, it's made known to the man Samuel that that his successor can be found, that that the brand new king can be found in a place called Bethlehem. And I don't know about you, but I'm having deja vu right now. You're going to find a king in a place, Bethlehem. That just sounds really unfamiliar to us. Well, as Samuel goes into Bethlehem, though, we see more than anything, though, such a glaring difference between the way that God sees people and the world and circumstances and the way that we so often as human beings see them. Well, Samuel goes off into Bethlehem, and now he's standing in the house of a man whose name is Jesse. Jesse has all of these sons and And as far as um, Samuel goes, Samuel's looking at this and he's saying, this is going to be so easy. I bet that God doesn't even have to explain to me which one it is. Because after all, the criteria for who our kings are is, is the one who is head and shoulders taller than everybody else. It's a person who is the best looking out of everybody else in the land, just like King Saul was. And yet as God looks at this same exact situation, God looks at it through very much um, different eyes. As we see in verses 6 and 7, it says that when they came, he looked on Eliab, who is the son of Jesse. And he said, surely this one is the Lord's anointed one. And yet the Lord said to Samuel, notice this, 
Do not look on his appearance. And do not look at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, God says. And yet the Lord looks at the heart. And to all of us who have a desire to to have a brand new heart, and to have a heart that that is a, a mere image of the heart and of the energy of God, One of the most crucial changes and one of the most important transformations that that we must absolutely undergo is we've got to see the world just as God sees the world. We've got to see just as Jesus sees. And that's because when the eyes of, of God look upon us, God looks at the heart of all of creation. As we see the word heart in in Hebrew scriptures especially, that is not descriptive of a muscle in our bodies. Rather, what that word heart means in the Hebrew culture and in Hebrew society is a description of the inner man, is a description of the inner woman. In other words, our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. And yet, as we see here, though, when the eyes of God look upon us, though, God looks far beyond the exteriors. And that's because as our creator, God sees us as we truly are. God looks upon us and he knows every thought that is in our minds. He knows all of the the dreams and aspirations of our hearts. He knows all of our secrets, both good as well as not so good. He knows what we love more than anything else, and and he's able to actually see our burdens as they crush our spirits. And as Jerry alluded to just a moment ago, when God looks upon us and when God looks at all of these people outside of these walls, he's looking at us through the lens of his Holy Spirit. God looks at us and, and he's looking at us with with all of the the splendor and the glory of his love, joy, and peace. When he looks at us, he sees patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control filling his eyes. You see, that's what comes natural to God as, as he looks at us. And you know, this is how he looked at the multitude. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is traveling all throughout cities and villages, proclaiming his gospel everywhere that he goes, doing good wherever he was going. And in Matthew chapter 9, there is a very beautiful moment where where he looks out at the multitudes and he sees all of these people. All of these people who represented the, the very bottom of the social hierarchy of Palestine. People who the upper echelon of society looked upon as being worthless. Jesus looks at them and he sees how anxious taxation has made them and how disillusioned they were by the toxic religion of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's then in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 where it says, and when Jesus saw, when Jesus looked out and he saw the crowds with his own eyes, 
We're told that Jesus had compassion for them. For they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I can't tell you how bad I want to reach a point where where I can look at anybody in the same kind of way. Anybody. Look at them and feel compassion for them. This is how Jesus looks at us. And it's how Jesus looked at a young man who who chose to worship his his wealth and possessions above Jesus. Even though he rejected Jesus, it says that looking at him, Jesus, as he saw this man with his own eyes, looking at him, Jesus loved this man. This is how Jesus sees us. It's how Jesus saw an impoverished widow as, as she walked into the temple treasury. Jesus looks out and he sees with his eyes all of these wealthy people just just nonchalantly throwing all of their givings and donations as a means of a show. Then it says in one of the gospel accounts in Luke, I believe it is, as he sees, and as he looks out and he sees a poor widow wearing shabby clothing, She puts in two seemingly worthless copper coins into the temple treasury. And upon seeing this, it says Jesus announced to all of his followers that that truly I say to you, this poor widow gave more than all of them put together. This is how Jesus looks at our our worship and at our own sacrifices. And this is how Jesus looks at you and he looks at me despite all of our sin and darkness. Just as a father in Jesus' most famous parable looked at his son as, as he squanders all of his riches and he comes back to his father's estate on hands and knees in absolute disgrace. Jesus says that when his father saw him, When Jesus looked out, and as he says, as the father looks out and he sees his son walking towards him, he felt compassion for his son. And he ran to his son, embraced him, hugged him, kissed him, threw a royal robe and a ring and a turban and sandals on his feet. And he said, welcome home, son. This is how Jesus sees you and he sees me, even though we so oftentimes fall short of his glory. And I just can't tell you how bad I want to see people and circumstances and tragedy the way that Jesus does. This is, these are the kinds of eyes that I want to have. This is the kind of heart that I want as I look at you and as I look at the world. And yet the problem is, is that that is not at all what comes natural to us, is it? God looks at the heart, but but as God reveals to his prophet Samuel, this is not how people look at people. And that's because as people, we, we don't look at the heart. We have an obsession with the outward appearance. God looks at the heart, and yet man looks at the outward appearance. And it's such a tragedy to me that far too often, when people see their fellow man, they look at them through the lens of hatred. 
of jealousy and lust and hostility and rage. And my brothers and sisters, this is the polar opposite of His Holy Spirit. These these are the works of the flesh. And that's what comes natural to us. The rage and impatience and lust and jealousy and hostility and the hatred of the world. I think it's very fitting that we read in Matthew 9.11, Matthew 9.11. We associate 9.11 with, with emergencies. And what we read in Matthew 9.11 is a spiritual emergency. Where we see such a drastic difference between the way that, that Jesus looks at people and the way that, that religious people looked at other people. Where it says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 11 that when the Pharisees saw, when they looked out with their eyes and they saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and with sinners, which is code for, in often cases, prostitutes, they said to his disciples, why? Why is your teacher eating with these sinners? Why is he eating with these animals who are so guilty of sin? And the answer to that question is very clear because God does not see as we see. Jesus is looking right into their hearts. And the nasty little secret is of the gospel books that the hearts of these prostitutes and tax collectors was so much more beautiful than the hearts of these religious enforcers. And yet man looks at the outward appearance though. As people, what we care about is how they look, is what color their skin is, is how wealthy they are, is how poor and dirty they are, is what their handicaps are, is how much they weigh, is what their nationalities are, is their political affiliation. This is how we see the world. We see only the outward appearance. Well, as Samuel looks for which one of Jesse's sons is going to be Saul's um, successor as king, as we saw in the text, he begins with Eliab. Now, evidently, Eliab had been been the um, most handsome and the tallest of Jesse's sons. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being tall and handsome. I mean, hello, you know? (laughs) Hello. Yeah, in my dreams, right? I got a call from GQ the other day, by the way. They told me to stop calling them, but hey, I still got a call from GQ. Not everybody can say that, but... Well, it's not Eliab, God says. Well, now Jesse is like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. It's, if, you know, if it's not going to be Eliab, then it's got to be Abinadab, right? God says, no, it's not him either. Well, how about Shammah? And he says, nope, not him either. And so they're just kind of looking at each other like, well, we've gone through all of the sons. There's no more sons standing in this room, right? And then what Jesse says is he's kind of looking off into the distance. And he says, well, actually, there is one more son of mine, but he's the youngest. I mean, he's just a kid. He's out there herding sheep around day and night. 
couldn't possibly be him, right, God? Well, David is also very handsome. But that is not at all what God's criteria is. You can be handsome, you can be ugly, it doesn't matter. But what truly matters all throughout Scripture is what does our hearts look like? And what really set David far high and above was he had a very unusual heart. David had a heart that is described to us as being in pursuit of God's own hearts. He had a heart that was so beautiful that even after that exact same heart burned in adultery and in murder, that heart shattered in repentance. Where in Psalm 51, what he sings to to God as he mourns his sin and his choices, he sings, create in me a clean heart, O God. Or in so many other words, What David had sung to God is, you are the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. This is what is possible for each and every single one of us. And this is what Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to. And you know, it is his greatest miracle of all. I think about how the Apostle Peter came such a far way in his life. It had been ingrained in him that Jewish people were were good, and they were holy, and they were righteous. But, But if you were not Hebrew, I mean, you weren't even a human being. You were more like an animal. And this is how the, the Hebrew world looked at the Gentile world for a very long time. Well, he reaches a point in the book of Acts, though, as he speaks to a man whose name is Cornelius. And Cornelius and his whole household, Gentile household, hear the good news of Jesus Christ and are baptized into him. Then he says that, that now I understand. That God is not one to show partiality, but rather everybody who who fears him and and who does what is right is welcome to him. And yet just as you and I also struggle with, even though Peter had come a, a very long way, there were times where he reverted back to who he used to be. He went back to his old ways. Some Jewish Christians come into town. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 explains how how he ostracized his Gentile brothers and sisters. So we have all of these Jewish Christians over here, and they're eating the bread and drinking the cup, but, but over here, way over here in a darkened corner, you've got the Gentile Christians all by themselves. You see, he did not see them as God sees them. He judged them by their outward appearance. He cast them aside because of their nationality. And you know, as the people of Jesus Christ, we we have something that is so special this morning. Something that is so utterly sacred and beautiful and powerful. And really what it is, is that the secret to having this kind of heart that is blossoming and blooming his spiritual beauty lies in embracing this. 
As the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but, but hear this, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It was his greatest wonder of all when God became human and dwelt among us. That was the greatest wonder that he ever did. But this is his greatest miracle right here. How in despite of all of our darkness and wickedness in our past life, that it is now said of you and it's said of me that, that Jesus is living in me. Jesus Christ is, is alive in my soul and in my words and in my actions. That when we go to work and when we're standing in the line at, the, at a grocery store, people are actually encountering Jesus as they encounter us. Yes, it may only be a tiny microscopic glance that's, that's here and it's gone in, in a blink of an eye. And yet Jesus was there nonetheless in us. And so what the Apostle Paul is really saying to the Apostle Peter, as well as to all of us this morning, is that we cannot afford to go back to that small and exclusive and that ignorant way of seeing the world. What I imagine he had explained to, to Peter is that, listen, I am no longer Saul of Tarsus. You are no longer Simon Barjona. We are no longer who we used to be. And yet now, because we have gone to the waters of baptism in a heart full of faith, now you are Lori Christ, Sally Christ, Denise Christ, Walter Christ, Ruth Christ, and David Christ. It's no longer us who is alive, but it's Jesus Christ alive and living in us. And as we close this morning, I just want to make it known that a couple of years ago, I came very close to hating somebody. All that it took was just hearing this individual's name on television or just wherever, and my blood started to boil. They just reminded me of a lot of people who get powerful in the world and bully others. I had nothing good to say about this person. And I would let anybody and everybody who cared to hear it know night and day, and, which I would not recommend. Well, I reached a point where at last I took all of that anger and vitriol to Jesus. In my morning prayers every morning, about halfway through my morning prayers, there is, is a few minutes where, where I just stop speaking. And I just sit with Jesus in the silence. And as I close my eyes on this particular morning, what I had envisioned in my mind's eye was the upper room. Jesus has gathered with his apostles, and they're all there just about to eat the bread and drink the cup. And yet I look over and I see of all people, Saul of Tarsus also sitting there. A Pharisee is, is sitting there with them. And yet I look closer, though, and I see of all people, this person who I'm that close to hating. And he's sitting right next to Jesus Christ. Jesus is handing him the bread that he just broke. 
Jesus and, and this individual are, are, are all looking at me saying, why don't you sit on my other side, David? I sit next to Jesus and with this person who I don't like very much. And as we eat the bread and drink the cup, I just imagine Jesus whispering in my ear, hey, if Saul of Tarsus could come into my kingdom, and if you, of all people, came into my kingdom and obeyed my gospel, is it really any wonder if even this person one day, if they, they choose to, comes into my kingdom too? And then all of a sudden, I no longer wanted to hate this person. I didn't agree with them. And yet, as I looked at them, now I was looking at them as God would. I no longer saw something that, that I, I wanted to hate, but, but now I saw a human being. I saw a human soul. And God gave me new eyes with which to see a person who I didn't like. You know, every single one of us have come such a long way this morning. And I think it's very important that we all rejoice in any progress we are making in Christ. More than anything, I think we have to have a patience with ourselves because spiritual transformation in Christ comes just about as quickly as the fulfillment of New Year's resolutions. Weight loss does not come overnight. Quitting drinking, smoking, whatever it is, that does not happen overnight. That is a very, very agonizing and slow process, but, but slowly but surely we can get there. And yet as we begin yet another day though, my brothers and sisters, we have got to change the way that we see the world. We've got to let God change our hearts in the way that we look at our circumstances. What he's saying to us is, oh Christian, do not look at the outward appearance. Do not judge books by its cover. But rather look upon them as God looks upon you. And he looks upon the multitudes. When we learn to look at people in this way, now all of a sudden is, wait a minute, that's not a right winger. That's a person. <laughs> that's not a libtard. That is a soul. That's not an illegal or a black guy or a white guy or a lesbian or an atheist. That is a human being who bears God's creation in them, who is absolutely loved and beloved and cherished by their creator. And we can do that with our circumstances too, can't we? We can say that as agonizing as my depression is or as overwhelming as whatever is going on in our lives happens to be, as inexcusable as my past doings were in the past, God is greater than all of it. And he replaces our yesterdays with, with a brand new day of opportunity. When we crucify the hatred and the hostility that comes so natural to us, and we let the love and the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ take control in our hearts and in our eyes, we will begin to see the world and our troubles and our fellow man just as God does. And then it can be said of us and seeing the world, 
and seeing our enemies and seeing the people who we don't agree with, we felt compassion for them. And we love them just as Jesus loves them. 